This is the Missio Nexus Podcast, episode 52, December 2019. Well, can you believe it's December already? Here we are. Today's sponsor is Access Truth, and you can see the link that we put in the show notes. If you've got questions about how to conduct ministry, they have a whole series of resources available to help you learn and train uh, your, your team, your staff, your church. You might want to check them out. That's Access Truth. Well, today we're going to be talking about the a uh, whole question of unreached people groups and is that a valid kind of missiological idea anymore? And I'm going to go ahead and just run this interview with Mike Latsko and you'll hear more about our conversation that's been ongoing for the last few months. Well, on the call today, we have Mike Latsko. Mike, I want to welcome you to the phone call. Thank you, Ted. Good to be here. Let's just start off a little background for people, if you could. Um, tell us a little bit about uh, Mike, what kind of what your background is and what you're currently doing. Sure, thanks. Uh, I'm from Virginia originally and uh, came out of 22 years of pastoring, uh, half of those in a small church in the Dallas-Fort Worth area, the second half as an associate on a large church. So I tend to look at things from a local church perspective, but have been the last 15 years with a sending organization with their U.S. headquarters in Phoenix. And you're currently serving with Vision 5.9 in some role, right? Yes. Vision 5.9 is a collaborative effort of about 180 organizations around the world who are looking to share Jesus with the Muslim world. So we're in Muslim-majority countries uh, sharing Christ and planting churches. And what's your specific role? Yes, they have a a steering team, Ted, of about 15 or 20 women and men in various uh, ministry roles around the world. And I'm on that team with specific uh, focus on the people groups that uh, remain without workers. So without workers from close by or from far away, these are the ones we call the unengaged, unreached, and we're trying to get church planting teams among them. Okay. So again, kind of as background for the listeners, you and I started talking about this issue of, I don't know the best way to describe it, probably UPG fade, I think is kind of what we say. But the idea that the the concept of unreached people groups is fading right now, especially among churches. Is that how you would also kind of describe it? It it is. And uh, Ted, this resulted from just numbers of conversations at a local church level and on a mission sending side. Not that people group missiology was no longer thought about at all. It just seemed that there were other priorities, other emphases, that the Lord was stirring other interests and other ways of framing the sending question. So those of us who were kind of born and raised in this uh, people group focus, we were trying, on the one hand, to listen to what the Lord might be saying to us in a fresh way, but also not willing to jettison what we felt like he's been telling us for the last several decades. So that's what prompted this conversation. Okay, so... 
after Mike and I started talking about it, we decided to form a little kind of a missiological study circle would be one way to describe it. Um, and we've convened a number of times and talked about some of the issues that are going on here. And what I'd like to do is kind of unpack some of those issues for people and um, give them a chance to hear a little bit more about what we've been discussing in our group. Um, <clears throat> so first of all, is this really an issue? So what would be some data points that you would suggest indicate that, in fact, we are living at a time where there's uh, a lessening interest um, in the idea of unreached people groups? Well, one that comes to mind right away is that an increasing number of U.S. churches and agencies no longer measure their sending by whether they're sending to people groups. They measure their sending uh, by who are going to cities or who are going to causes. So, you know, what we measure says a lot about us. So over the last few years, we're seeing a different way of affirming our values just by the, the, the targets of our sending. Okay, and how about, so I, I'm aware of a couple of different studies that have been put out on the extent to which people understand the Great Commission in local churches. And I think, I guess from my perspective, one of the more important ones is the Barna research in which um, slightly less than 50% of churchgoers had any clue at all about what the Great Commission is. And when you add on top of that, this, uh, this concept of unreached people group, um, obviously, I think you could conclude pretty readily that the average Christian in the U.S. and Canada are not very familiar with uh, the unreached people group paradigm. But let me ask you this, Mike. I have had numerous people say things to me, re even very recently, you know, we've been focusing on unreached people since the mid-1970s. Haven't we really moved the ball? And isn't that one of the reasons why we need to move in a different direction? How, how would you respond to that? I would agree that for some in the church and missionary world, the unreached people group paradigm has been uh, just a great, great help. And many of us have uh, seized on this biblical understanding of panta ta ethne, make disciples among all peoples, and we've run with this. It's been a standard, it's been a direction, it's been an aim, it's been a success, if I can say. Uh, and, and, and yes, in, to that in large degree. The flip side of that, Ted, is that even when we've come into peoples around the world, there's a continuum of fruitfulness that we've experienced there. And we want to press to the edges of the room, don't we? We want to see as many individuals as possible come to Jesus within the peoples that we've engaged. So we can't be content with a minimum level of engagement. We need to move forward towards what has been called effective engagement of individual peoples. So we dare not stop the missionary apostolic thrust until we've seen a flowering of the fragrance of the knowledge of the Lord throughout the whole of the people. In addition, what about these unreached peoples who are as yet to have begun to be fragrance with the gospel? We dare not 
exclude them out of our enthusiasm that at least half or so have been fragranced thus far. Now, one of the interesting things I think that's come out of our little study group have, there are a couple of different ideas here, but one is, needs to be exchanged for a new paradigm. And I'm thinking particularly of um, the frontier people idea. Yes. So what, what have we heard from one of our group participants about this idea of the, the frontier peoples? Well, I, it's, it's been a helpful stream in the conversation. Frontier peoples advocates are saying that there are some unreached peoples who by virtue of their enormous populations really give a whole new meaning to the, to the word unreached. So they're saying you can have even hundreds of believers among a people, but when the population of the ethnic group, the people group, is 10 million or more, then there's, there's a whole lot more gospel working to be done. So I, I love the emphasis that they're bringing to us about not only establishing an apostolic presence in residence among the people, but let's see a movement of churches emerge from that presence. So there's a, there's a little, there's been a healthy tension, I think, in our conversations thus far between making sure that every people is represented in the heavenly choir and also as many individual people within the people group to be represented. We want both and. Right. Okay. So one end of that, one end of the spectrum too, is the voice is calling for kind of a sharper tip to our spear. At the same time, we've also had, I can think of uh, at least one paper in which the suggestion is that the unreached people group paradigm isn't working anymore because of things like urbanization and uh, people yes. losing their ethnic identity as well. Yes. Yeah, as, as our cities get larger and larger, especially in the majority world areas, the, the ethnicity of a people tends to blur over time. And so at least some of our expat workers, uh, workers from outside the country are saying, you know, it's becoming increasingly difficult for us to identify people group distinctions. Interestingly, Ted, our majority world friends are also telling us, well, that may be difficult for you from South Korea or Germany or Argentina or the U.S. to discern, but it's not as difficult for us from within India or from within Chad or from within Malaysia to, to identify. So many of our majority world friends are asking us to please not disregard the people group prioritization simply because it may be harder for us to identify those peoples, especially in urban areas. Mm -hmm. How about um, the whole concept of lists, UPG lists? What are your thoughts right now as we talk about, I mean, we, you know, we all know that there's numerous UPG lists out there and um, trying to figure out where we are on those lists. Some have questioned the whole existence of the lists. Well, my brother, guess what? I've finally come to have to affirm that our lists are maybe not 
exactly inspired or inerrant. <laughs> this, is, this has been quite a revelation for me because actually I say it tongue in cheek, but in part, I've wanted to believe that these lists that are circulating are from, and they are from well-intentioned people and helpful for mobilization purposes, but the subtleties, the complexities, the ambiguities, the sometimes different definitions that we're all using as it's just it's um, we really require grace and patience and listening to one another. I'm hopeful, and I see signs that the different networks that are working uh, together and are producing these lists. I I do believe that the Lord is bringing us to a point where there's going to be a greater transparency between us, mm -hmm. uh, a greater trust, and maybe not a global like mega list that will be right for all of us. Not that, but I, I, I do see signs of greater communication between us. And I think that bodes well for the future. Yeah. Great. Um, let's just talk a little bit about diaspora. Um, one yeah. of the, one of the arguments I think that's made is that, Hey, UPGs are coming here. Therefore we don't necessarily need to go there. And yes. even if that arg argument is not being made explicitly, it is implicitly being made. And I think particularly church leaders are hearing that. Yes. Can you reflect on that for just a moment? Yes. Well, from my perspective, you know, a pastor is responsible, responsible to, to shepherd the flock entrusted to his or her care. She's burdened for her flock. He's burdened that his flock grow into the fullness of the measure of the stature of Christ which involves reaching those who are close by. And so our church people are running into more and more friends from around the world. And so every church has the privilege of making a difference among those in their immediate circle. So a, a shepherding, a pastoral responsibility is to his flock and his region where that flock is, is based. The statistics tell us that a very, very small percentage, perhaps well under 3% of the global people group population is now relocated to North America. So we have a very small percentage of people from the majority world now living in our country. Still, those numbers are hundreds and thousands and sometimes scores of thousands in North American cities. So I don't think it I don't think we win by imposing a supposed missionary yoke upon the New York uh, upon the North American church saying no we should only be sending to majority world. No, let's reach those whom the Lord has brought into our cities and let's press in and see if the Lord is going to cultivate a new sending back to the homeland regions. Now, all of us want to see that happen, but we've not yet demonstrated that we can resend back to home in a consistent way. But I definitely think it's worth exploring. Yeah, I think the shocking thing for me in our conversation was just, you know, you're, the sense that you get is that every unreached people group, for example, is in New York City. But because of the incredible diversity of human cultures, at least if you use the UPG list, the, the, that's not the case at all. Absolutely. Yeah, and that was kind of shocking to me. 
Let's just yeah. talk briefly about uh, Ted. I, can I just can I yeah. piggyback on that because uh-huh. something comes to mind? A conversation that I had with an Indian brother the other day who lives in New Delhi. He's saying, Mike, don't forget that when we reach diaspora populations in the city, they from New Delhi, for example, will bring the gospel back to their more ethnic, strong people back in the country. Right. So he's, he's saying that Indian demographics say that up until the year 2050, the urban, urban population will continue to grow, but that after 2050, the populations will stay about equal, urban populations in India and rural populations in India. So if that model continues, then the people group, the people group identification will continue to be strong in the rural areas of some of these majority world countries. And so he's, again, asking that we not discard people group prioritization simply because of new developments in the urban areas. Yeah, that, that whole conversation about urban uh, versus non-urban is a very interesting one. And I keep reminding people that the U.S. at least, uh, there are you know, a number of demographers that think we've reached peak urbanization. Mm. And uh, the, the, the biggest growth in the U.S. scene right now is actually the outer rings of cities, mm. not the inner rings for sure. And that probably within the next 10 to 15 years, we are going to see a growth in the, the non-urban areas. Anyway, that's mm. a whole other conversation. Um, let's touch just briefly on the uh, anthropological and, and by that I mean, so when we talk about unreached people groups, are we talking too much about anthropology when we do that? Are these kind of man-made anthropological ideas? I think this is kind of what the Darren Carlson article was getting at that ran on the Gospel Coalition website. Um, yes. What, what are your thoughts about just the use of anthropology in, in missiology? Ted, we're all trying to come to grips with what do the scriptures mean when they speak about all peoples, every ethne, pantata ethne? Mm-hmm. When we look again at New Testament usage of the term, look at the Old Testament use of the term, we're just, what I like about this whole conversation, and I appreciate what the brother has written, he's challenging us to be careful in our scholarship, careful in our prayer careful in our conversation. And I value that. I want to affirm that. I, I want him and his tribe in this conversation. Let's together meet before the Lord. If we need to tweak our understanding, let's tweak it in light of what God is doing in our day. I think what many are saying is, but let's don't jettison what we believe God has said to us over the decades because of something new that he's doing in our day. How do we blend? How do we hear all that he's saying? Let's bring our best thinkers. Let's bring our practitioners. Let's bring them from the local church. I'm very concerned that, that the local church, both in our country and around the world, have, have a seat at this table. And brother, don't we believe that the right people in the right room, on the right subject, 
with the right spirit, the right duration, under the leadership of the Lord of the church himself, can't he confirm for us a way forward? I believe that he will. I believe that he can, and I believe that he's doing it in our day. Well, you're, you're very gracious, Mike, because um, I would take that particular article to task, maybe a little bit stronger, <laughs> um, particularly the conclusion that uh, we're sending too many resources now to places that are reached and are unreached, and it's harming places that are reached or places that have seminaries. Mm. But that's a whole other conversation. Um, <laughs> You're gracious also. <laughs> <laughs> well, not as much as you, perhaps. So over the, over the next year, the theme for Missio Nexus is the Great Commission, what is our task? That's what we're going to be leaning in on. Mm. Um, and this whole conversation has a lot to, to say about uh, that. When it comes to that theological question, I do find it interesting. So, you know, like when John Piper wrote, Let the Nations Be Glad, he essentially made a theological argument for Panta to Ethne. And what I'm finding interesting now is the, the kind of the accusation is that, oh, it's too anthropological. So, you know, what is it? Is it theology or are we really talking about anthropo anthropology when we make these lists up? What's your response to that? I think those of us who have tried to read our task with the Bible in one hand and, and being aware of the newspaper and other, you know, in our other hand, we've before the Lord tried to honor the Lord and have believed that we were pursuing a biblical and theological um, initiative here. And so the accusation that it's an anthropological argument is surprising to us and, and maybe offensive, but I think we, let's, so let's talk about it. Let's get in the same room and see what the Lord says. Huh. Okay. Well, this is all very, very interesting. Um, I'm hoping that, you know, listeners will tune in throughout the year as we're hopefully going to be bringing up issues surrounding the definition um, of the Great Commission so that we can execute on it well. And uh, Mike, I want to appreciate you. I, I, want, I want to tell you that I appreciate you coming on the call today. And um, I look forward to ongoing dialogue. All the best to our friends at Missio Nexus. Mike really is a fantastically gracious person. I really appreciate the opportunity to work with him, even just on this little uh, discussion group we've got going. Well, now it's time for a question from the mailbag, followed by something I like. And today's question from the mailbag is a very easy one for me to answer, and it's one I get very often. And it is simply this. Ted, I've got a fantastic idea to present at the Mission Leaders Conference how can I get hooked up to make my presentation? And I probably get that question after the conference. And this is, of course, uh, like six weeks after the conference happened this year. I bet you I've gotten that question 30 or 40 times. Here's how you do this. You go onto the missionexus.org website. So it's missionexus.org slash proposal. And you'll get a form 
And that form is actually not routed to me because I don't make the decision about who presents. There are a group of track leaders and you'll specify in your proposal which track you think best fits your presentation. And those track leaders will be the ones to actually make the decision on what goes in that track. And I want to encourage you to do that. Now is the time. Believe it or not, uh, we'll get those nailed down in the next month or two for next year. And probably not quite that fast. Let's say two months from now for next year. And uh, get online and put your proposal in. There's a lot of great ideas out there, I'm sure. And it is a good way to get in front of a very unique crowd and be an influencer. Okay, now something I like. This is going to be an oddball selection for you, but uh, forgive me for that. But I really like uh, Elon Musk's Cybertruck. And it's actually not the Cybertruck, although I do like it. But it's the, the whole idea of coming out with a product that doesn't follow everybody's preconceived notions of what a truck is all about. Um, just if you go online and you start looking at some of the automobile blogs, and I follow one called Jalopnik. It's a great website that talks about everything about cars. And I, I like cars. I don't necessarily drive incredible cars. I did have a 66 Ford Mustang up until about uh, seven, eight years ago. That was my daily driver. But um, all that's to say, I like following car this this car blog. And he has just been excoriated by the traditional car aficionados. And, uh, you know, if you haven't seen the Cybertruck that Tesla came out with, it's very angular. It doesn't have the smooth, rounded look of the average vehicle. And it doesn't look anything like pickup trucks as we know them. Now, I drive a, a uh, pickup truck. I have a 2005 Chevy Colorado it's just about to hit 180,000 miles on it. I absolutely love my truck. It's been a great truck. And I need a truck. I, you know, I haul boats and I've got a little over half an acre of property and I do large projects and I do construction stuff. And for me, a truck is a, is a must-have kind of vehicle. And, um, and so it's not like I don't, I'm, I'm, I'm alien to the world of trucks. But if you go on those sites, they basically say, no existing truck buyer would ever buy that monstrosity that he's created. And I just say, you know, fooey to all that. I thank the good Lord that there are people that are willing to go outside of convention and do something completely different and ridiculous um, in an attempt to bring to life a new whole a concept, a new whole idea of how we think about trucks. And, um, you know, would I buy that truck? The, the problem for me is not the truck. The problem is could I actually get, would I ever buy a $50,000 truck? You know, would I ever do that is the question. It's not that truck. It's would I spend that much money on a truck. My truck's got about two years left in it. Um, when it goes, I've been thinking about buying a pretty nice truck next time around. Because as you can tell, I drive them for years. And if I were to get a, a good truck at this point, I probably could potentially be a truck that lasts me for 15, 20 years. And this Elon Musk truck is a really uh, unique one. Would I buy that one? I don't know. But I like the fact that Elon Musk is willing to do something completely out of the ordinary. That said, if you go and you watch the truck reveal, you'll see, see how he throws a, a metal ball at the window. 
under the assumption that it's not going to break and he breaks the window. And I even say, I love him for that. Um, you know, if we, if we always have guaranteed success, we're never going to move the ball further down the field. We all know that's true, but when somebody fails in front of us, it's so easy to make fun of them. So, Go Elon, go Tesla. I hope the Cybertruck is wildly successful. By the way, they took pre-orders on the truck and there's already, this has just been like, it happened on Friday and I'm recording this on a Monday. They have 200,000 pre-orders on a, you know, forty dollars to $60,000 truck. I think it's going to sell all right. So with that said, it brings us to the end of another Missio Nexus podcast. Have a blessed day wherever you are. And whenever you're listening to this.